Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Now, if the truth isn't given in love, then you're an heir, okay? You, you communicate truth, but you got to do it in love. And you're not really loving somebody if you're not telling them the truth. That's the other side of that, okay? You can't say that you love somebody and not tell them the truth. Nor can you say that you love somebody and you're constantly telling them the truth absent of love. They have to go truth and love. They have to go together. Some believers, including teachers and pastors, will sometimes tell people something close to the gospel in an effort to draw them into God and to show them love without offending them. Yet as Pastor James will explain today, you're not loving them if you don't tell them the gospel truth. Paul frequently pointed out error, redirected behavior, and challenged people to right thinking. But he always did it in a loving way. He did it because he loved people. By denying the truth, even if you love them, you are directing them away from God. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Galatians chapter 4 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. time with you guys. I, I invested my life with you guys, and you're throwing that all away. For what? Why? So that you can be slaves again. It doesn't make sense. Choose your rut. Choose your rut. Start carving out a new rut within your life. Here's my encouragement for us. We can learn a lot from these guys. A new groove within your life, daily Bible reading. Start carving it out within your life. Uh, prayer, praying all the time. Pray without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean you stop and close your eyes and fold your hands and do this, because that technically doesn't mean you're praying. I hope you know that. And if you pray like this with your eyes open and your hands wherever you want them, in your pockets, you know that God still hears that prayer, right? Like. I think sometimes we're conditioned in Sunday school to where it's like, if you, they do this because kids are wild. That's, that's why they do this. And they make them close their eyes because it's like me, I'm just a big kid. It's hard for me to focus. So if I'm praying with my eyes open, I have friends who do that and it drives me nuts. I'm like, how are you paying attention? And they're like, because I don't have ADD like you. And they're like, close your eyes. I'm like, okay. I can, I can focus a little bit better that way. So all those Sunday school teachers, you did that for me, okay? I appreciate that. But praying without ceasing is just carrying on a conversation with God at all times. And it's, it's, it's very relational, super informal in one sense, um, absolutely, completely respectful. But we talked about this last week. He's your Abba, your Papa. And my kids don't have to formally address me in order to talk to me. It's not how I run my house, right? Dad walks in, it's like, uh, Father, I'm requesting your presence. Is that okay? Um, can I come into your presence and we have a conversation? Well, let me think about it. How well have you been? Have you been doing good? Did you do your chores? Did you do your homework? No? Okay, we can't talk, right? Like, that's not how God works, nor is that how my, 
My kids can come up to me and talk to me anytime, at any time. Um, they have direct access to me as their, as their father. Works the same way in heaven. Because of Jesus, you have direct access to God at all times. Now, I wouldn't encourage you to be disrespectful towards him. Like, hey, yo, what's up, pops? Like, I don't know about that. Um, now, maybe when you're in his presence, he can address some of it. Now, I would, he's still God Almighty. He deserves to be feared. He, I mean, because he can, you know, in an instant, he can take you out, and he can have a face-to-face -face with you at any moment and be like, hey, why, you know, a little respect, right? Um, but you have direct, intimate contact with him so you can pray at all times. Get into a new groove within your life of just calling out to him at any moment. Fasting, fasting. Fasting is a great groove to get into. Um, witnessing, it's a great groove to start carving out within your life and your relationship with the Lord. Develop new habits. Develop new habits. What we've learned is that um, new habits can be learned, but it takes, it takes consistency within the habit in order for them to stick. You've grown up doing certain things one way all the time. That's why if you've never stopped to think about it, you can do some things without even thinking about it. It's because all those channels within your brain have been carved out and it becomes just second nature for you to, to do things without having to think about it. And that's the problem is, uh, I heard one guy say that the problem with humans is we have so many habits because they don't require any thinking. And because we don't spend a lot of time thinking <laughs> about what we're doing, but we carve out these little channels within our minds and here's the good news. Your mind can be reprogrammed. You can develop new habits. And, and it's a beautiful thing, the way that God has created our, our brains to work. And you can start forming out, forming out new ruts, so to speak, new grooves within your, own, within your own brain, your physical brain, by just committing to something and practicing it daily, daily. And it's not a religious thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's for you to become... Just like, this is, this is what I do. This is what I do. That's why you, when you're dealing with people who suffer from addiction, the, I've, I've, I've heard stories. I've overlapped with individuals who have, you know, from like, they, they say a prayer, and, and they, maybe they receive the Lord Jesus, and like, it, it's almost as if he wipes their, those, those channels like clean in their brains, and it's like gone. The addiction, like gone. But I have overlapped with way more people on the other side of that where it's taken a lot of years in practice and falling down and getting up for new habits to be formed. But they can be formed. That's the good news. They can be formed. You can be free. And that's what Paul's telling these guys. He's like, you don't have to, just because you've grown up this way, it doesn't mean you have to go back to that way. You can be free. And Christ just died. It's for freedom. He'll say this a little bit later. It's for freedom that you have been set free. So it's possible, it's totally possible. And Paul's just begging and pleading with these guys. He's like, don't go back, don't go back. He, verse 12, I mean, this is where he gets real personal with these guys. He says, brothers, uh, you can say brothers and sisters. Um, I'm gonna read from the ESV just for a second. He says, I entreat you 
Become as I am, for I also be- become as you are. This is where he's talking about, I- I'm, I- I'm free from the law. I'm free from the law. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, not not just as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So Paul's saying, he's like, listen, I was going around on this missionary journey. My plan wasn't even to hang out with you guys. But because I got some sort of sickness. Now, if this is where he picked up this, this little eye ailment that he had, nobody can say dogmatically, but there's a good idea that somehow he got in what it, where maybe it was malaria. Something happened to his, and it really kind of distorted his face to where he really wasn't that pleasant to look at. And he had to go to Galatia. He had to spend time with there because the Lord was, you know, he, he was knocking on doors to go into all these other areas and the Holy Spirit was saying, no, 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 no. You're going to go where I want you to go. And he spends time with these guys and he's sick and they don't reject him. They welcome him in and they nurse him somewhat back to health. They didn't reject him because his eyes like gooping out and all this stuff. They welcomed him. They embraced him and they embraced the message that he had. And he's just recounting to them. He's like, you remember when we first met. And and there are no accidents in the kingdom of God. There are no accidents in the kingdom of God. This was, the Lord was directing his steps. And he led him into the region of Galatia. And they welcomed him in. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your, your own eyes and given them to me. This is how sweet their relationship was. He's like, I know you would have sacrificed for me to the greatest extent. And that's where we have the indication that it's something with his eyes. And at the end of the letter, we'll even see, he's like, see with what big letters I'm writing this letter? That's because he probably couldn't see. And can you even imagine what the scroll looked like? Uh, it looked, probably looked like a kindergartner had written this thing with these huge letters, right? But he's saying, like, I'm writing this letter with my own hand. That's how intimate this letter is. But he, he's bringing them back. He's like, look, you, I know you guys, if you could have, you would have given me your own eyes. That's how tight we were. That's how good we were. What's happened? What has become of your blessedness? New Living Translation says this. He says, um, you know, uh, where's the joy and the grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure uh, you would have taken out your own eyes and given, the, given them to me if it had been possible. He says, have, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Oh, the truth will make enemies out of people. Even if it is proclaimed in love, the truth can make enemies out of people. Family members, we've You've probably lost contact with family members because of the truth. Now, if the truth isn't given in love, then you're an heir, okay? You, you communicate truth, but you got to do it in love. And you're not really loving somebody if you're not telling them the truth. That's the other side of that, okay? You can't say that you love somebody and not tell them the truth. Nor can you say that you love somebody and you're constantly telling them the truth absent of love. They have to go, truth and love, they have to go together. But even in the best scenario, even in the best circumstance, truth that is delivered in love, Jesus said it himself. He's like, look, I, I came and, man, I, 
Because of me, families will be divided. Families will be divided. Let's, and we, and I don't know if it's just like a, a Western mentality, but we have this idea that like, no, 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 that, that's not supposed to happen. We don't want it to happen, but sometimes that's what happens. We think like, no, no, we, we're all just harmoniously get together and get along, and it's just, it's supposed to all just work out, right? Kind of along the lines with, along the lines with your perfect house and your white picket fence and all that stuff, right? And it's like, well, that's not what the gospel says. Now, we do know this. Sometimes when you proclaim truth and love, the recipient of that doesn't like what's said, and they may go their own way. The Spirit has this way of sticking with somebody. And it may take years, it may take months, it may take days, but the, the Spirit knows how to like turn on the light bulb in somebody's heart and mind. And they're like, you know what? I think what they were saying was true. Because sometimes distance is what's necessary. Look at the prodigal son. I'm sure his dad was communicating truth to him. I'm sure there was love that was incorporated within that as well. But the prodigal son was like, give me what I did, what's coming to me. I want all my inheritance right now, and I'm going to get out of here. I'm sure his dad was probably saying, no, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. Where are you going to go? What are you going to spend it on? None of your business. Give me my stuff. I'm going to make my own decisions and all that stuff. And he went, squandered it all, lost everything, but was able to come back to dad because it dawned on him at, the, at rock bottom. He's like, man, this doesn't make any sense. My servants are treated better than this. My dad's servants are treated better than this. I can go back and get a job with my dad. I won't be called a son anymore because I know I damaged that relationship, but I'm sure he'll hire me as a slave. See, it took him getting to rock bottom before the light bulb came on of like, I think dad's place and dad's wisdom is the right place for me. And then he turned and what? Dad embraced him and welcomed him in. Why? Because it was truth and love. Because that's how God treats all of us. When Paul's dropping truth on these guys, motivated out of love, it's not always well-received, but it doesn't mean that that relationship is damaged forever. The Lord knows how to bring things back. He just might need to get so-and-so off on their own for a little while so he can deal with them and then bring them back. I don't know how all this plays out. I don't, I don't know, and I don't, definitely don't pretend to know. Um, I just know how it worked out in my own life. Where I probably had people speaking truth and love to me growing up, and I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I want to make my own decisions. I want to do my own thing. And it took getting to rock bottom before I was like, you know what? I think all those people that were saying things to me, I think they cared about me. And I think with the Lord is where I need to be. The Lord knows how to do this stuff, guys. He knows how to do this. And we know from this letter, I mean, this is going to have an impact on, the, on the, the individuals there within that region of Galatia. They don't all continue down the path back to false idols, okay? Just so we know that. They don't all just like surrender and abandon themselves back to their old lifestyle. We know to a certain extent that by way of this letter, this is a good wake-up call for some of these guys, and they receive it, Okay? 
But Paul's saying, he's like, look, I was hanging out with you guys. You guys love me. Am I now your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Verse 17, those false teachers. Here's the, here's the bad guys of the story. Um, they're so eager to win, you, to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. So here's the motives of this false teacher. Uh, the false teachers, they're trying to isolate the believers. And that's exactly how cults work out, okay? Cults like to isolate people. They want to get you away from your family. They want to maybe get you away from your church family and all that stuff so that they have all of your attention. And their intentions are never pure, never. So whether that means they're going to get something out of you by way of um, taxing you to death through giving, right? Because they're going to beat you over the head with that thing. You got to give all your money. Make sure you're doing your tithes and all this stuff. And they're just hounding them and hounding them and hounding them. Or you got to like, now your, your focus is on this one individual. We all focus on, and we only hear from this one individual, and we worship this. And that's how the cults work by isolation. And that's basically what's going on here. It's Paul saying these false leaders are coming in, and they're seeking to isolate these believers because they want all of their attention and their focus, not because they care about them, but it's just to boost their own egos. That's all, that's all they want. It goes on verse 19. Oh, dear children. Oh, my dear children. I love this. Paul, his heart for them is he's not offended by these guys. It's so cool. Paul could be really, you know, dropping some strong verbiage here. But he's like, he never loses sight of this. He's like, you're still my kids. You're still my, these guys are still saved. Please know that. Paul's not talking about people who have lost their salvation. He's talking about people who have gone out of a groove and back into a rut. They're still believers. Paul says, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again. That's where we'd be like, Paul, come on. Um, all the ladies would be like, no, nah, I don't think so. Um, but he's saying, I, I, I'm in agony for you again. He says, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives, this, this transformation and, and just this aspect of like just watching them blossom and, and grow in the relationship with the Lord. And Paul's just in agony and distress over this. He says, I wish I was there with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. I love that. So you can kind of tell like maybe a little bit more exclamation points in this letter than what they're used to, Okay. Um, and none of them are, are capped off with like a little heart by Paul, right? Now, this is like exclamation point. And remember, it's probably big letters too. Maybe he's underlining certain things, a very harsh kind of a way. But he's like, I, I, I wish I was there. I wish I was there with you, but I can't be there. But here's my letter. I, I don't know how else to, to communicate this to you. He's going to use this, this, uh, this little illustration, a little allegory. To, um, it's, a, it's a true story, but used as, a, as an example to communicate this truth to them. But I was, I was reading through this and studying through this, and, and I, as I was familiarizing myself with the story, and we just went through Genesis not too long ago. But on this last portion, if I can burn anything into your brain, into your heart and mind, um, I would say this. When you come to Galatians 4 and you look from verse 21 to 31, Who's your mama, 
right? That's what's going to, you can write that in, in that last section. Who's your mama, okay? Because we know who's your daddy. Like that's, that's a common phrase or whatever within. No, no, no. Who's your mama? Like, who's your mom? Not that, not, not, not biologically or anything like that um, or whatever. We're not talking. Spiritually, is it Sarah or is it Hagar? Because it's one or the other. You got two choices, Sarah or Hagar. And that's what, that's what Paul's going to use. He's going to use this very real story to communicate this truth to these guys. And, and so we'll jump right into it. Verse 21. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, continuing the argument, tell me, you who want to live under the law, because you were once free of the law, the law didn't apply to you, so to speak. You were Gentiles. You didn't have to live under the law, but now you want to live under the law, which again, doesn't really line up with the fact that you like idol worship. Because, you know, in the Big Ten, you know, you should have no other God before me. That's like, that's like you know, numero uno. Like, you, no false, but yet these false teachers are perfectly okay with these guys setting up these statues again. But he's like, all right, you want to live under the law, doesn't make sense to me. Um, he says, do you know what the law actually says? That's a great question. So you want to live your life like this, but do you actually know what the Bible says? That's, that's a really good question. If you frame it in the right way, that's a perfect question to ask people when they tell you they're going to do something. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just really feel like I need to do this. And, you know, and I, I saw in the Bible, man, it kind of referenced this or that or whatever. And you're like, you know what the Bible actually says? They might get offended, and that's fine. But it's a really good question to ask ourselves, like even when I'm considering things, like, wait, do I, do I really know what the Bible is saying when it comes to, am I just pulling out verses to, to, you know, to make me feel good or make me feel confident that I can do this thing? You really need to be familiar with what the word says. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, you want to live under the law, but do you actually even know what it says? It's a valid question. It says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born in, an human, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So it was human effort. Ishmael was not born out of promise. Ishmael was born out of human works and human self-effort and all that stuff. Ishmael was born out of, well, technically, selfishness. Because Abraham and Sarah are getting up there in age, and they know that this promise exists. However, I mean, I don't know how long the biological clock can tick, but for Sarah and Abraham, they're kind of like, I think, it's, I think we're well past it. Like, I don't know what's going on, but, um, you know, and so the idea was, Sarah's like, look, obviously, God needs us to help him okay? Because we're doing our part and nothing's happening. So God needs our help. God needs our assistance. If that thought ever comes into your brain, you need to stop right there, repent, okay? And say, God, I don't think I really know who you are because he's God Almighty and he does not need your help. He doesn't. But they were like, you know, we should probably, and she's like, here, I got Hagar, who Hagar was an Egyptian slave, born out of Egypt, and they were going to use 
Hagar as an Egyptian slave to bring about the promise of God. We're going to bring the world into the situation and let the world help God bring about His promise. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Galatians, a New Testament letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Its lessons on unity and holiness may have been written long ago, but these truths can still be applied in your life today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the messages you've heard on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor James on this topic, you can visit our website today at breadforthebroken.com. Do you live in the Galveston area, and are you looking for a church home? We'd be honored to have you join us at Calvary Galveston this Sunday at 10 a.m. We're a laid-back church, and we encourage you to simply come as you are. You can get directions to our church and more information at breadforthebroken.com. If you're not able to come in person, that's okay. We're streaming our weekly services on Facebook Live. Just search for Calvary Galveston. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask you a question. Would you partner with us here at Bread for the Broken? We'd be honored if you'd pray with us for everyone who's listening to this program, that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Would you also pray about partnering with us financially? All donations are appreciated, no matter the size. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for coming alongside us to share the gospel message. And thanks for listening today to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love, man, and give it.